Hi everyone, it's JC on the You Made New podcast. Welcome back. We're still in season two talking about the health of the mind, um, trying to have a mind that's saved and redeemed through Christ and is in a place of peace and rest rather than craziness, right? Um, I actually was planning this week to go in a whole different direction and I woke up and was just studying some things in my personal study and I'm telling you, the Lord led me in a completely different direction. It's not something I haven't studied before. This has actually been a theme for me. What we're going to talk about today it has been a theme for me for years. It's been something he is dealing with in my life for many years. And all of a sudden, I, I just saw some connections this morning in a way that I just thought, nope, this is what we have to talk about this week. It's so relevant. Again, um, when I'm recording this, it's in the midst of the coronavirus crisis and quarantine and all of that. So if you're listening to this later, um, I really think it'll still apply. I hope the lessons will still apply, but it's so compelling for what we're all experiencing in the midst of this pandemic. So let's talk for a few minutes about um, the commandment that the Lord gave in Matthew 22 when he was asked what the greatest command was. And in Matthew 22, I think it's verse 37. I didn't look it up. He says, number one, number one thing is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy mind and strength and, and with everything you are. We see this repeated. It's not just in that one chapter. He asks us again and again to put him first. We see it in the Ten Commandments that we're to put no one else, no other gods before him. We are to love him. And think also man, about other words he could have used in that verse. He could have said, obey me, follow me, believe in me. That is the greatest commandment. But he chose the word love. I want you to love me. I don't just want a master servant relationship where you just follow orders. You can do that without loving me at all. I, I want more than that. I want a deeper commitment. I want your heart. I want your heart. Now, for years and years, I would have told you again, because I'm a church girl, because I've kind of walked that walk for many years. If you would have asked me, do you love him more than anything else? Of course. Yes, yes, yes. Look at all these things I do. Look at all the time I spend in scripture. Yes, of course I do. But the last few years, um, the Lord's been kind of opening my eyes to that. And, and now I don't answer that question quite so, um, glibly quite so like, Oh sure. Yes, of course I do. He's taught me to see it in a new way. That's kind of what we're going to talk about. And I'm going to start with an analogy that I saw once online in a video form portrayed, um, that rocked my world. I had never, never thought of it in this perspective. So I'm just going to kind of walk you through the video, how they outlined, but it was just the story of a husband and wife who were celebrating an anniversary. And they decided for this anniversary that they were going to make it fancy, dress up, go into their favorite restaurant. And so they get there and they're led to the table and it's a larger table. It's set for several, um, not just two, but, but the wife brushes it off and they sit down and she tells her husband, oh, I'm so excited. Let's look over the menu. I love this place. So excited to have this special occasion with you. But minutes later, uh, another man comes rushing in, sorry, I'm late, runs up to the table and it's one of her old flames from college, one of her old boyfriends. And she stands up and gives him a hug and a peck on the cheek and invites him to sit at the table. We've been waiting for you. Welcome. So glad you made it. Now the husband is a little bug eyed, like, wait, what? 
what, what is going on? Um, and he's so surprised at the wife's reaction, but then before he has a chance to really say anything, another man runs up to the table. And again, the wife repeats the same greeting. And this time it's a colleague for, that she works with. And she gives him a hug, um, very affectionate and welcomes him to the table and chats and begins to um, greet him. And so again, the husband is really just speechless. He, he's just not even sure how to process what's happening right now to this anniversary dinner that was supposed to be so special. And before you know it, a third man comes and this was a college boyfriend and does the same thing, welcomes him, gives him a peck on the cheek and, and he joins the table as well. So now at this point, the husband can't take it anymore and he explodes. Like, what are you doing? How could you do this to me? He's incredibly like hurt. He's feeling betrayed, just angry, all those emotions that we know that we'd all feel if we went through this experience. Like, you've got to be kidding me. And the wife leans over and kind of starts to rub his arm and gives him a little squeeze and says, honey, honey, please. Like, I love you. I mean, you'll always be my favorite. I married you. I even married you. And so you're the most important to me. I just want to spend a little time with these other guys. That's all. Please, you know, you just, you know, you have the top place in my heart. So <laughs> how would her explanation go over with most of us? If we were all of us, I'll say all of us. If we were in this situation, is her husband going to sit there and endure this arrangement and say, oh, okay, yeah, I guess, I guess that's okay. No, no, no. It's, it's incredibly rude and offensive and just ridiculous that she would even dream that he would put up with this. She's supposed to give him her whole heart, right? Whole heart. There is no one else. He, he, he won't allow room for any other suitors in her life, any other men in her life. It's either all or nothing. You know, we all kind of understand the dynamics of marriage and, and see that that is really how it works. But then as I pondered this, and, and that was the point of the video that I saw online, how often do we treat the Lord as this wife treated her husband in this story? How often do we have other loves that compete for our interests and take us away from him for a great deal of time. It takes our attention. We can get mentally obsessive about some of these other things. And, 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 and yet we would turn to the Lord and say, but I love you the most. Look how much time I'm giving to you. Look how much I offer you. You're my favorite. I just want to keep these other things in my life a little bit. So for me, it took a, a moment of, Oh, are there other loves in my life that compete, that compete with the Lord for my whole heart. Have I given him my whole heart? Yes, I can, can check off a checklist of religious things that I do. I go to church. I pay tithing. I read scriptures. I fast regularly. I, I, you know, check, 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 check. But what about the worship of my heart, the love of my heart, the attention of my mind, the devotion of my heart? Is it divided? Is it split? Now, the reason I'm using this story today and in terms of coronavirus, I sometimes I love when I get online and, and start looking and studying some things, sometimes a blog or a post or an article will pop up and you can just tell that you didn't get there accidentally. You know what I mean? Those moments where you're like, I was so meant to read this. He just, I don't even know how I got to this article today. 
but it's um, written by a Christian pastor named Josh Weedman, who is um, lives in Colorado, pastors a church there, but was writing about coronavirus and some of the things we're all going through. And this one just slayed me. He just nailed it. I'm going to use several paragraphs from his, his uh, article. I hope he doesn't mind, but the title of his article is the greatest idol crushing we have ever seen. And he starts out talking about, you know, we, a lot of us don't understand exactly what, what God is doing with this um, pandemic. We don't know all his purposes. We can't see it all now, but you know, and I'm sure he's up to lots of different things. Um, but then he says the one thing we can be sure of thus far in the situation, God is allowing the greatest idol crushing our modern world has ever seen. Then he continues an idol of our heart is anything we put before God in our affections. God knew that humans would gravitate toward loving what we can see and create more than we love him. And then he talks about that verse in Deuteronomy where he says, where God says, you shall have no other gods before me. And he says, God is jealous and rightly so, but we often misunderstand his jealousy. It doesn't seem loving of him to be jealous. It is as if we believe that if he were truly loving, he would let us love other things more than him. However, he says, love must be jealous for it to be true love. Isn't that what that story that I used at the beginning portrays? How loving would that husband have been to allow the wife to have all these other boyfriends entering their relationship and taking her heart away from him? No, true love demands all your heart. It does get jealous if there's anything that competes. And I just, sometimes I would forget that the Lord is the same way. That he, when he said that in Matthew 22, I want you to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy mind. There's our, our connection to this season, all your mind. I don't want your mind obsessing about other things and caught up in a love of other things that take you away from me where other things are more precious to you. Um, let me just use an example. I, for me, one of the gods, one of the other lovers that I had in my life that I never called it that. And I've done another episode in season one on this, but I'm just touching on it lightly was food was sugar. It was my dearest love. It was my best friend. Um, when, when I needed comfort, sometimes I would run to the Lord, but I would keep chocolate close and seated at the table as well. Like I danced between him and that as what I turned to for deliverance um, for stress relief, for happiness, chocolate had almost as high of a place in my life as God did. It was my boyfriend sitting at the table and he began to show me that like, JC, this has become much more than just something you're putting in your mouth. This has become something that delivers you that you turn to for bliss and for comfort and for happiness. And, and so, um, you look at those things in our lives that we turn to for an escape and we say, well, it's just a harmless escape. Like, can't we have anything? Can't we have a guilty pleasure? Can't we? And I'm not saying that any of these things are bad. And I'm going to give you a whole list that he gives in, um, in his article. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying when we turn to them as our deliverer, when we give our part of our heart and our love and our worship and our devotion to these things, they become an idol in our lives. Um, Josh continues in his article. He says, the problem is that we love the many good things that God has created often more than we love the creator. 
our affections for food and sports and entertainment and socializing and money and possessions rise high in our heart, casting a shadow on the love we have for God. And scripture portrays, he says, that God will remove those affections with force if he must, because he is jealous. As our creator, he deserves to be our foremost affection. So here's, here's how he kind of concludes his point in the article. He says, so while I cannot tell you all that God is doing in this crisis, I can assure you that our idols are being crushed. Isn't that interesting? You think about that's the kind of one big consequence of this quarantine that we're all experiencing. The virus has removed, he says, the things that have eclipsed our love for God in one massive advance allowed by our sovereign king. He says our heart worshiped at the altar of fine dining, sports, entertainment, convenience, and cover comfort. This virus virus has crushed those idols. The millions of hours spent watching sports stopped. The millions of dollars spent on eating out stopped. The comfort of healthy and growing retirement plans stopped or declining. The luxury of getting hair done, nails, manicured, beauty enhanced stopped. The obsession of travel and leisure stopped. I mean, you name it. He says there have been hundreds of idols that have been stripped away. Not that these were bad. And I agree with him. Not that these were bad. It doesn't mean you should never travel or never get your hair cut or never, you know, watch a movie. He said, we just have to acknowledge that we may have loved them too much. God will contend for our hearts. And he is doing that in a very real way through this world crisis. I as I thought about it, it it made me think of, um, the book of Hosea. It's kind of where I've been pondering this morning. I, it wasn't a book I was very familiar with in my earlier years. Um, it's the story of, of Hosea and his wife, Gomer. Um, he was directed by the Lord. He was a prophet and yet directed to marry this woman who was actually a prostitute. And they, they married and they ended up having three children together. So you can tell she spent a great deal of time, enough time with him that she had three kids with him. But she would continue to take off and run back to her other lovers. And so the first several chapters of Hosea laments this and, and compares the children of Israel to that harlot, how they run off to other things and they won't give their whole heart to God the same way Gomer would not give her whole heart to her husband, the prophet. And so what, what God does in, in Hosea verse two or chapter two, he, he, kind of outlines a very interesting strategy. You'd think a lot of husbands would write off a wife like that um, and just say, fine, whatever, you know, you're not going to give me your heart. You're done. But he fights for her. And the way he fights for her is to destroy her other lovers. He says um, in Hosea two, let's start in like verse six. God says, therefore, behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns and make a wall that she shall not find her paths. And she shall follow after her lovers, but she not, shall not overtake them. And she shall, shall seek them, but shall not find them. And then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband. For then was it better with me than now. For she did not know that I gave her her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold. All the things we have, everything we are is from him. But we get caught up in those gifts and begin to love them more than the giver of the gifts. Um, and I will say, as I began to explore this in my life, food wasn't the only thing. 
I had several other lovers that I was keeping to, at the table with, with the Lord and all these other things lined up and I would dance between and try to keep the conversation going. I would give him time. I loved him. It was like the wife said in the story, I love you. I married you. Like I, I, I don't want to leave you, but I just want to keep all these other things on the side. But in Hosea, he says, no, I'm going to take them away. Therefore, will I return verse nine and take away my corn and my wine and um, 11. I will also cause all her mirth to cease her feast days her new moons her Sabbaths, all these parties that she was going to and 12. I will destroy her vines and her fig trees whereof she hath said, these are my rewards that my lovers have given me. I mean, I definitely had rewards that came from my lover lovers. Um, there was a payoff on all of the things that I clung to. There was a rush. There was an escape. A lot of times, um, entertainment, social media, movies, we can escape into a chick flick and just leave behind our boring life in this or difficult life and escape and disappear. And these are the rewards my lovers have, have, have given me. But he says in Hosea, I am jealous, God, I don't want this kind of relationship and I will fight for her. So I'm going to destroy those other lovers. And he says in 13, I will visit upon her the days of Baalim, wherein she burned incense to them and decked herself with earrings and jewels and went after her lovers and forgot me, saith the Lord. Then here's verse 14. And this is what I think ties into the coronavirus and what's going on right now. He says, therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. He's calling her back home. He's calling her away from all her lovers. He's going to bring her into the wilderness and say, you've forgotten me. Come back. And it shall be at that day, verse 16, saith the Lord. I'm going to change these words to what the, the Greek or the Hebrew actually means. That thou shall call me husband and shall call me no more master. I'm calling you back to a heart relationship where your love is for me alone. And then he finishes in verse 19, I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and mercies. I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness and thou shalt know the Lord. Even after our spiritual infidelity where we have turned to other things, he is willing to fight for us and recapture our heart and return us to the thing that we, our soul most needs, which is him, which is him. Um, let me, uh, let me look at, this is how Josh Weedman finishes, uh, makes a, a final point in his article. He says, you know, we could get bitter and complain and gripe and throw a spiritual tantrum. We could tell God and others how upset we are that he's, he's allowed a few of our favorite things to be removed. Or he says, we could see it as loving of him to allow our idols of our heart to be defeated. We could use this as a catalyst to come closer to him. What if the very reason God removed all these things was to give you something greater? And then he finishes like this. What if he's allowing the things you love to be taken to enhance your life and soul in a way that could only happen through this massive idol crushing. He wants our heart. He wants our mind to be all his. He wants everything we are, 
hundred percent thrown into where he is our only God, our only deliverer. He's our escape. He's the one we turn to a hundred percent of the time. We live in a world that has so many distractions and they do. They're very seductive idols. They're very seductive lovers. And they call us away for our, from our true love. So maybe in the midst of everything we're going through, and a lot of us at work and at my house, we've all been talking about how hard it is and how much we miss our old life and how much we miss being able to do the things we used to do during this quarantine. But I'm trying to shift my mind and use this as a chance to see any places where I've loved other things more than him and to let those be defeated and let them fall away and to just take time to give him again my whole heart, to come in repentance and humility and ask for his forgiveness for the places and the times that I have turned to other things, but to allow this as a, a spiritual cleansing, a, a reestablishing of my relationship with him and a sweetness that can return um, that maybe has been missing. So I would invite you to, to maybe consider those same questions. Um, and see this whole experience that we're in the midst of as a gift instead of a curse, as a way for him to remind us that he is there and to give our whole heart to him. Um, thanks for, for joining me today. I will see you again next week.